morning. As, as Nick said, my name is Dave Fremstead, and my wife Dory is here with me today. Um, we've had the opportunity to, to meet many of you over, over the last couple of months as, as we've gone through the inter interview process and some social stuff, but just a little bit about um, ourselves. Uh, we currently live in Council Bluffs, Iowa, and uh, we have two children. Our son Josh graduated from Wayne State um, a year ago, last May. And he's now a music teacher out in Curtis, Nebraska, near North Platte. And our daughter, Sarah, is married to Matthew Keller. And they live in Red Oak, Iowa. So, and then we have a seven-year-old golden retriever still at home. So, um, now we're, we're excited to be here. Um, like, you know, we, we also just feel that God has been opening up the door for us all along the way. Uh, just, you know, my prayer, our prayer from the beginning has been, just praying for clarity, both for, for us, for Dory and I, but also for the church as well. And I think God has brought that. Um, and I'm standing before you today uh, because of that clarity that, that God is bringing. So if you have your Bibles with you this morning, let me encourage you to uh, open up your Bible or your phone to Matthew chapter 18. And as you do, I want to uh, begin with a story. And this might seem like a tragic or a abrupt shift, uh, but you'll soon uh, see why. It was back on Friday of, of April, April 12th of 2019 that a man named Emmanuel Aranda walked into the Mall of America up in the Twin Cities of Minnesota. And in his words, he was looking for someone to kill. Now, a man... Aranda walked up to a mom and her five-year-old son, and he literally grabbed the boy and threw him off the balcony 40 feet above the floor. Now, that boy, Landon Hanneman, uh, surprisingly, he was not killed instantly by the fall. Um, however, he was left with some life-threatening injuries, multiple broken bones, and severe head trauma. Now, if that was your child, how would you respond? If that was your five-year-old laying on the ground 40 feet below, how would you feel toward your attacker? That crime so heinous, so disturbing, so deliberate, it, you know, it'd be hard to erase from your mind. And as a parent, would forgiveness even be an option that comes across your mind? Now, let's, let's be honest, the, the churchy answer of we should forgive everyone probably isn't the first thing that would pop into your mind. Now, you might be thinking, mm, lethal injection, you know, too good for Aranda. Electric chair, yeah, maybe. The handgun in your nightstand, possibly. But forgiveness, for many of us, that wouldn't be an option. So if your son landed on the floor 40 feet below, where would you land on the forgiveness scale? 
That's the kind of question that one of the disciples asked Jesus at one, one time. This morning, we want to look at one of the parables of Jesus found in Matthew 18. That's called the parable of the unforgiving servant. And in Matthew 18, verse 21, the disciple Peter comes to Jesus. And he asks Jesus this question. He says, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? You know, there, there's nothing easy about the forgiveness that Jesus calls us to. Jesus is our uncommon king. And as an uncommon king, he calls us, he invites us to be a part of his un uncommon kingdom, which he refers to and the Bible refers to as the kingdom of heaven. And life in this kingdom is characterized by uncommon forgiveness. So in our text this morning, we want to see how this uncommon forgiveness is presented in two different ways. One is forgiveness received, which is God's heart towards us. But the second is forgiveness given our heart towards others. Now the verses just prior to this parable really set the stage for Peter's question because it wasn't just a random question out of the blue. Jesus was discussing with his disciples prior to the parable, how to handle uh, a situation where one believer sins against another. And in verses 15 through 20, he kind of gives this biblical pattern of confronting that and how to seek reconciliation between believers. So Jesus tells us that it begins with a one-on-one -on -one conversation. If somebody has hurt you, uh, you go have a conversation, you seek reconciliation. If it's found, great. And then he says, well, if it's not found, take two or three people with you and again have a conversation. Always seeking reconciliation. If that doesn't work, bring it before the church, have a conversation again with reconciliation always being the goal. You know, it's a good practice to follow. So that teaching on seeking reconciliation leads this disciple named Peter to ask the question, which seems like a very normal question, one that, one that we would ask, you know, how many times should I forgive somebody? How much forgiveness is too much? Where, where do we draw the line in the sand and say enough is enough? So, so Peter asked the question, should I forgive seven times? Now, think about that for a minute. A fellow believer, a fellow disciple of Jesus has hurt you and sinned against you. So Peter, he's thinking, you know, I'm going to the extreme here. Uh, should I ask, to, you know, should I forgive that person? Not once, not twice, not three times, but seven times. Now, in Jesus' day, the, the rabbis, the, they taught that three times was the extent of forgiveness. So for them, a, a forgiving person would reach out and forgive three times. You know, we, we would call that three strikes and you're out policy. Now, maybe for you, you're thinking that's three times too many, but, but that's the teaching of the day. So for Peter to suggest seven times, I mean, that was going to the extreme. That, for him, that represented something complete, something whole. That's what the number seven was about. And Peter was probably thinking seven times represented complete forgiveness. Now, Jesus' reply is challenging. 
not, not only for Peter and the disciples, but for us, because he says that life in the kingdom does away with all calculations and limits of forgiveness. So he responds, not seven times, but 77 times. Other versions of the Bible say seven times 70, or 490 times. That's basically Jesus' way of saying that forgiveness has no limit. You don't keep score when it comes to forgiveness. So this uncommon kingdom that we are called to be a part of is characterized by uncommon forgiveness. And some might say even unrealistic forgiveness. Well, that's where this parable comes in. So starting in verse 23 of of Matthew 18, Jesus tells a parable as a way to illustrate with some life examples of what uncommon forgiveness looks like. And Jesus, in his infinite wisdom, he uses the theme of money, something close to our hearts, to get our attention. So as as the parable goes, a king is settling his accounts. Now, this would be an ordinary, normal thing for a king to do. He's just going through the business of running his kingdom. And one servant is called before him who owes this crazy amount of money of 10,000 talents. Now, in the math system of of that day, 10,000 was the highest possible number that that they could count. It was really an an arbitrary number, you know, something that represented that that which was beyond reach and beyond comprehension. You know, the equivalent today would be like saying $1 trillion. I mean, a trillion is just a number that I can't wrap my, my brain around. It's a one with 12 zeros behind it. You know, it's, it's 10 to the 12th power. It's 1 million million. And so it is with 10,000 talents, a number beyond comprehension. So for, for the disciples to hear Jesus talking about a servant that owed that much money would have been unimaginable. I mean, it's an outrageous number. And Jesus uses that to set the stage for what happens next. So the king says to her servant, you owe me 10,000 talents. And the servant replies in verse 26, be patient with me and I will pay back everything. Really? The servant actually thinks he can get his way out of that kind of debt. He's probably thinking to himself, you know, trillion bucks, it's it's not that bad. You know, I'll get a second part-time job, have it paid off in no time little side hustle here, a little hustle there. I'll do the Dave Ramsey thing and voila, you know, have it paid off. You know, his comment and plan for repayment just realizes, reveals that he has no concept of how big a debt he owes. He doesn't know how mistaken he was to, to think that he could actually work his way back out of that debt. There's a great debt to pay, yet there's something even greater about to take place in this parable, because the parable then takes this unexpected and unprecedented turn. Because in verse 27, it says this, the servant's master, this is the king, took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. (laughs) What? I mean, just wipe that kind of debt from the books? What was this king thinking it's not a good business practice 
It's ridiculous. The king had every legal right to require payment. In fact, he could go so far and throw him in prison and his family in prison, demand repayment, and keep him there until it's repaid. That was, that was the thing back then. But instead, he forgives. The servant life is spared. His family members are spared. And he receives this unexpected windfall of good fortune. Then there is yet another unexpected turn in this parable. The servant who just received forgiveness and mercy goes out and he finds a fellow servant that owes him a much more tangible and payable amount of 100 denarii or 100 silver coins. And that's the equivalent of about three months' wages. Not an insignificant amount, but something that definitely could be paid back over time. So the first servant finds the second one, grabs him, puts him in a chokehold, and demands repayment. Now what just went down between those two servants then makes its way back to the king. He finds out about it, and he calls the first servant back to him, and he says in verse 33, shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? And in his anger, the master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. And then comes this verse, this last verse of the parable, that that take it out of the realm of just being a wild story about a king and a huge debt and a ruthless servant. It takes us out of that and into our lives, into yours and mine. Because he concludes by this parable by bringing it back to each one of us, whether we are in financial debt or not. Verse 35, Jesus says this, This is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. You know, there are days when I wish that verse wasn't in the Bible. You know, days when I find myself mad at my own brother, my own flesh and blood for saying and doing stupid things that that are hurtful, that leave me mad and upset. And and there's no way that I don't feel like forgiving him. But wouldn't you know it? Jesus said it, and that verse remains. And there are days days when people make verbal attacks against me, and I want to quickly counterattack with some verbal jabs, but wouldn't you know it? That verse is there. And I'm reminded when I read that verse of how much Jesus has forgiven me. You know, there's nothing uncommon about forgiveness. It's unexpected, and from a worldly standpoint, it's unrealistic. But that's how life in this kingdom rolls. So this parable really brings home two points for us today. It's about forgiveness received. It's this beautiful picture of God's heart towards us. But second, and and the difficult part, is that it's a call to action for us to examine our own hearts towards others. Now, when we look at the Gospels, when we look at the life of Jesus, we see 
God's heart reflected towards us. And for the three years that Jesus was active in his ministry on this earth, you know, we see that he was constantly teaching his disciples about what kind of king he was and what life in the kingdom was all about. And his disciples never really got it because they're always asking questions about this kingdom and the king because they had one notion about what a king should be and do. And Jesus was constantly saying, no, this is what my kingdom is like. And they just couldn't grasp it, especially when Jesus started talking about the fact that he had to die and that he would be crucified and resurrected to life again. And, and they kept asking the question and wondering, kings don't do that. You see, G- Jesus willingly stepped into the punishment, pain, and death of the cross for one reason. One reason alone. To pay an insurmountable and un- outrageous debt that we all owed. A debt so large that it's impossible for us to, to work our way out of it no, no matter how hard we try or how many you know, part-time jobs we get. It's the debt of sin. Sin so real to God, so painful to the Father, so heinous in His sight that He demanded payment be made. And, and this was done not in some installment plan over the millennia, but a one-time, once-for-all, one-and-done payment in the form of his one and only son, Jesus. And the payment method wasn't plastic, it was death. And that meant Jesus going to the cross to die in our place for, for our sins so that our debt could be forgiven. And when he did that, it opened up the opportunity and the door to be restored into a right relationship with God the Father, the relationship that he desired from the very beginning in the Garden of Eden. See, our debt has been forgiven. The work has been done already on on the cross. And that forgiveness, it came through pain. The pain of the Father watching his son take, take on the debt of sin, watching Jesus, his son, go through the torture of flogging and crucifixion. Yet on the other side, on the other side of his sacrificial death comes life. You see, Jesus defeated the grave in his resurrection. He wiped out the debt of our sin in his triumph over the grave. So through that lens of who Jesus is and what he has done for us and and what that kingdom means, we can look at this parable today and we can truly say that's how much the Father has forgiven me. That's God's heart towards us. But what about our heart towards others? What what about the forgiveness that we're called to give to others? Because there's that last line in the parable, that last verse that, that moves it from the realm of just being a biblical parable, and all of a sudden it makes it very personal. It comes off the pages of the Bible and hits us hard right between the eyes. Because you see, this goes from a tale of someone else's debt to a tale of our own. This becomes our story, my story. And you know what? It's a story that we can intentionally write. We can write it through our actions, through our words, 
through our heart towards others. See, this is a parable about the forgiveness we're called to give. And you know what? There's, there will be times where the forgiveness that God calls us to give is going to require that we press through the pain and hurt that surround it, no, no matter how deep. Those are the seasons where we need to learn to, to let go of the pain caused by others and just hang on to the promise that only Jesus gives. So what does that look like? It begins by acknowledging that God is God and you're not. But by that I mean He is the one in control. He's the ultimate judge. He's the one who's going to hold all of us accountable for our actions and our attitudes. And He's also the one willing to show mercy to all who repent and turn to Him, no matter how evil their past. Now that might not sit well with us all the time, but that's the kind of king we have. Now think about, think about how God has used different people throughout history. God used a murderer named Moses to lead the nation of Israel out of Egypt and lead them as the people of God. He used a man named Paul as an instrument to plant churches throughout the New Testament world. The same man who was once judge and executioner of early Christians. And later on in history, uh, he used a man named John Newton, who was a preacher, and back, back in 1773, for one of his sermons, he wrote a hymn called Amazing Grace. And that hymn is still sung and still impacts people today. And I think about my own life. How God has used me with, with my sordid past and, and my mistakes and the sins that once controlled me. And I'm reminded that I've been forgiven a lot. And God has called me to extend that forgiveness to others. You know, think about your past for a minute. Your B.C. days before Christ. And then think about where you are at today and the people that you might need to forgive. Because you know what? Hanging on to anger and hatred, it only leads to a bitter and hardened heart. But forgiveness, man, forgiveness is liberating. It's freeing. You know, it allows us to move past the pain and into healing. After Aranda threw Landon from the balcony... Landon was left with multiple broken bones, facial and skull fractures, fluid filling his lungs and stomach, and he went on to have more than 15 surgeries and medical procedures. But in August of 2019, Landon came home from the hospital. He had a limp because of uh, uneven legs, because of a broken femur. He had an open wound in his stomach, but he has continued to heal and grow stronger to this day. And when his mom kept asking him how he was doing, he finally told her, said, Mom, I'm healed. You don't need to ask me anymore. And his mom put it, he said, she said, Landon loves life and Jesus. He tells people all the time that when they get hurt, don't worry, 
I fell off a cliff, but angels caught me, and Jesus loves me, so I'm okay, and you will be too. In her victim impact statement, she told Aranda that she had forgiven him because of her faith in God. And I think the words that she wrote describe a right understanding of what forgiveness is. Here's what she wrote. She said, God will judge you someday, and I have peace with that. I hand it off to him, and you will take none of my thoughts ever again. And Landon's father wrote, you chose to take your hate and hurt out on my precious boy. That's where your impact on us stops. You know, I believe that's a picture of forgiveness today. To give your pain, give your hurt over to the one who created you and formed you. And don't let it consume you. Because the life we live by faith, the life that we live in the kingdom of God, and it's characterized by uncommon forgiveness, both received and uncommon forgiveness given. And folks, you can step into that today. How? We do so by saying yes to Jesus, by giving him all of our loyalty, all of our allegiance, by displaying that in, in baptism, and then beginning to live your life as a Jesus follower day after day. So let me encourage you today to do that very thing. Will you pray with me? Oh, Heavenly Father, I thank you for, for Jesus, for opening up the door through him to have a relationship with you. And Father, this morning, we want to thank you for the forgiveness that you give, but we, we also ask you for the grace and power to give forgiveness to those that, that we need to. Father, we thank you for loving us, for displaying your forgiveness to us, and now, Lord, we pray that we can display your love to other people. We ask this in your name. Amen.